one thing I think is easy to do, and it's also free. Basically, you go to forms.new. That's like a Google shortcut. Docs.new, slides.new, forms.new. Five questions. What's your name? Where do you live? Why'd you buy our product? What did it help you with? What else do you want to see from us? And send that out to your email base. You know, you can incentivize people with a gift card or to win a lifetime supply of your product or whatever it is, or a limited supply. You will get the best learnings as well as just the best like snippets of copy to go run on ads, the best learnings for your product team, the best learnings for your customer experience team. I'm actually kind of shocked I don't get more surveys from brands asking what I think about them. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Still don't have a mobile first strategy? Your competitors with mobile apps are enjoying a 2.4 times higher LTV with customers using their app and more sales month to month. Brands like Princess Polly, Chubbies, and Truff. Turn your Shopify store into a mobile app at tapcart.com slash limited and get two months free. All right, Moise, we're back for episode five of Limited Supply. How do you feel? Excited to be here. Uh, I really enjoyed doing the podcast on the Whaleys. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. But I'm excited to do um, excited to do them in New York again uh, next week. I feel like whenever we're in that studio in New York, we have this unique energy that we don't just have makes words. magic. You can see yeah, the sparks exactly. on the camera. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, how did you feel about it? I loved it. I thought it was fun doing like a live pod. It's always fun to see, you know, like hear the the giggle or people nodding their heads, like seeing it happen versus just like, you know, imagining it as we're recording right now. But it was a lot of fun. I think the coolest part was just hanging out over there at the Whaley's and meeting a bunch of people who who have such kind of weird businesses or interesting businesses or non-traditional in the way that you and I probably look at a business and we're like, what do you mean you don't spend on ads? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I thought it was a great event. It was a who's who of e-commerce, I thought. It was fantastic to be there. So many faces that I recognized, people I hadn't seen in several years. I felt like it was the first real direct-to-consumer event post-COVID that I can remember where I was like, okay, I really... I, I, at first, I was like, oh, should I come? Should I not come? And I'm so glad that I actually... Despite all of the trouble getting there, the freezing cold weather in Austin, Texas... I, yeah, I you were on fantastic. the runway for five hours? Yeah, yeah. For my a, flight a, was a 30-minute flight? From Dallas at 11 a.m. and it left at 5 p.m. Uh, and like, yeah. you know, we were sitting on the plane for six hours, but you know, I had a good time still. Yeah, you probably could have uh, biked there faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I would have <laughs> driven except the roads, they were like, you're not allowed to, basically no one should drive because there's black ice everywhere. Uh, you know, Dallas is, you, I've lived in Chicago, I've lived in New York, I've lived in Boston, I've lived in D.C. All of those places are so ready for snow. Dallas or like Texas, it gets cold and everyone's like, you know, the power is going to go out, you know, be prepared. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really very different reaction. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tell me what we're chatting about today. I mean, we've got a ton of stuff on this list. I think we should do a quick recap of the Whaley's. I, I kind of came back with a sort of a punchline after the event that I think is worth talking about. I did some research on audiences I've talked to a lot of people recently in the past couple of weeks about where they can buy audiences. You know, either they sell in retail and they're looking to advertise in a more targeted way, or they're just looking to, you know, narrow in on specific demographics. I found this thing writing copy for a hooks page last night. Uh, one of the brands that we work with, they have this like award on every single PDP for every SKU. And I started to think, 
what is this award? So I think we should talk about that because uh, it's actually a marketing agency that gives that award to every alcohol company. And then I think you have a few things on the table we should talk about too. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about, about the awards. Like, you know, I was in the alcohol business and every time we would send out an email, we'd be like, this person won the Every single company in the alcohol business has won an award. And when someone walks up to me, they're like, we won double gold at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. I'm like, that right. literally My means dog nothing. did too. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what this, I know what that means. And that's nothing. That's like saying Gmail corrected my spelling while I was typing. Well, congratulations. Right. It also corrected mine while I was typing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's bananas, but I'm excited to talk about it. Okay, let's talk about the Willie's recap. Okay, cool. I got there Tuesday night and I was there basically through Saturday. I love hanging in Austin just because I think the vibrance of the city is is real. And there's just so many good people there. Austin's kind of becoming the new New York in terms of events are being there. More conferences are happening there. And I think it's just easy for people to get to. So you get a good variety of people that come. You know, one thing I, I feel like I realized was you talk to some founders and you're asking, you know, like how, what are you guys doing? And everybody's kind of like sharing what they're doing. And it was so obvious that a lot of people who are struggling to hit, let's say a 5 million revenue mark or a 10 million revenue mark, you know, they're focused on SEO, they're focused on out of home, they're focused on working with influencers, they're focused on product collaborations, they're focused on, uh, you know, direct mail versus being focused on doing one thing really well. I kind of wrote about this in my newsletter of like, all right, look, instead of trying to do everything and try to do everything or get started on everything or run a test with everything, find like one or two channels you're really, really good at. You know, that could be Facebook and TikTok, that could be Facebook and influencers, that could be Instagram and direct mail, whatever it is, find one or two channels. Honestly, it should just be Meta and Google, really. That's all you really need. And just go all in and figure it out. Like the feedback loops are so good. You know, you can tag your site well enough with Elevar to where you get the data back. You can see what works. You can see what doesn't work. You can see the headlines that actually drive clicks versus the ones that don't. And you should build landers that basically correspond to that. And essentially that is, in my opinion, the best thing to do until you get to the five or 10 million mark where you're still trying to figure out what works and how to make that engine grow versus, okay, we did you know 100K and now we're going to go test direct mail. Like who the fuck is your audience for 100K in revenue? Or, you know, we're going to go do out of home because, you know, it's going to build top of funnel. No one's going to give a fuck about your billboard, you know, at that size. You know, my big takeaway talking to a bunch of people late night was like, look, you got to just go all in on one. And and some of the brands there, like there was this brand, uh, Mini Katana, which was a sword company. These guys were like, they did the same thing. They went all in on one thing, except it wasn't ads. It was organic TikTok and short form content. And they crushed it. You know, they're an uh, eight-figure business off of organic social content. You know, he built a, a studio, a content studio, cost him mid-five figures to run, and he's generating 300 million views a month, and it drives That's all the crazy. sales he needs. And so, you know, I remember on Thursday night, I went to dinner with him, and, you know, something came up along the lines of, well, you know, like as a joke, like, oh, what if we don't hit our revenue numbers? And my response would have been like, oh, well, you know, you run a promo, run a sale, crank some ads. His response was, oh yeah, we'll just make some more TikToks. You know, we'll be fine. So anyways, I think going all in on one thing was the takeaway for me. You know, it's something that I think we all talk about, but not a lot of us practice because there's shiny object syndrome. 
And, um, you know, the brands that have done that, gone all in on one thing, like they're the ones that have proven to do really, really well. It's very rare you find a brand that early on is doing everything and ends up doing well two years down the road or is even around two years down the road. I couldn't agree more with you. I think the hard part is just knowing where you should go all in on. Like, you know, it's almost like, you know, you were saying Facebook and Google and this guy's like, no, it's organic TikTok that's going to bring me a ton of revenue. And so I think that's the tough part is being like, yeah, I want to focus on two channels as well. It's just what two channels work. I would agree with you entirely. Like Facebook and Google is what you need. Facebook and Google are the things that can give you quick feedback loops. I particularly love Facebook because you get to create demand. Like, you know, if I were trying to buy deodorant, for instance, on Google, I'd be like, look, there are enough people searching for this, for this product on a daily basis for this business to be viable. So you have to go out and create demand. And with Facebook, you know, you can, you can test things at $50 and within a day or two, you sort of understand what's my click-through rate, what's my conversion rate on this. So I, I love Facebook. And I think that's, you know, that's where, whenever I think of uh, e-commerce, I'm like, this is where people are investing dollars, but people are making organic TikTok work and that's crazy. And, you know, it, it's crazy to be like, okay, so I'm not going to hit my revenue numbers. I, let me go make some more TikTok videos. Who would have thought that? That is crazy to me as well. When you're dependent on a channel, it's both your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. Like, you know, you're dependent on Facebook. You're like, great, Facebook is going to make me grow until all of a sudden there's a little bit of headwinds from it. I wonder if, if you're on organic TikTok, whether you're ever worried, okay, I'm going to have to switch to paid TikTok. Like, when is TikTok going to flip that switch, that Instagram switch, that Facebook switch, which was organic reach doesn't matter anymore. If you need reach, you have to pay for it. I also wonder too how that's going to play out, just given the, you know, like shorts, reels, and TikTok. And a little bit of Twitter, I feel like now is kind of switching to this. Instead of you create content for your followers, you just create for the algorithm. And if it works, then it'll kind Everybody of ride that conveyor it. bell. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it, it becomes more, I mean, I don't know. They, they very well could like turn that ads piece on too and say, all right, well, if you're not paying, you know, X amount, you're not getting on the algorithm or you're not, you're not going to even get the chance to get on the algorithm. It's both your greatest weak strength and your greatest weakness. And I think you're absolutely right. You basically have to wait until you're, it, you can do $10 million in revenue before you need to find, before you have to think about another channel. I remember when I was running native, I, I called Brian Lee up at Honest Ones and he's like, Facebook will get you to $30 million in revenue. You don't need another channel to get to 30 million. Once you get to 30, maybe 40, you need to start thinking about second channels. And I was like, wow, this guy thinks Facebook can get me to $30 million. I thought it was really crazy, but he's, he was kind of right about it. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure it has the same scale that it did five years ago, but it can get you really, really far. And you're right. Like people were thinking of out of home or people were thinking, I've got to invest a lot of dollars up front in order to find out whether this business works. That's a huge mistake. I would have never invested more than $500 in anything to find out if it worked when I was running native until we were a $10 million business or more. And that's why Facebook was so great, right? You can invest $500 and find out, is this working or not? If it is, scale it. If it's not, turn it off. You can't do that with billboards or with postcards or uh, you know, with a lot of other things. With like yeah, magazine also the feedback ads. loop just isn't there, right? You have yeah, to like- that's right you have to try to trace it and it's not like Facebook. You can say, okay, I want to see this ad. How many people landed on my product page? Okay. Then how many of those people added to cart? Why did this ad drive more people to initiate their checkout versus, you know, view just the product? So, and the timeline is so like, you know, if you're doing the postcards, great. You, you're going to spend $50,000 on postcards or $50,000 on out of home. It's going to take you a month and a half to design everything and get everything right and send them out and get the postcard in people's hands or the billboards up somewhere. 
And then you're gonna have to wait 30 days to figure out or 60 days to figure out whether that worked or not. Like, you know, what are you gonna do for the 90 days where, you know, you're not supposed to be doing anything while you're waiting to see whether your marketing strategy worked? Facebook ads, you can run an ad today and you will know tomorrow whether it works or not. Any other interesting takeaways for you from Wheelies? Scale is to be had everywhere. E-commerce businesses aren't just five or $10 million businesses now. They're 50, $100 million businesses all over the place. They're not a dime a dozen, but they are all over the place. And people have really figured out how to scale in a bootstrap way, which is impressive. I remember like, you know, the true classic, you know, they're, they're a huge brand, like a huge t-shirt brand. Like I felt like 10 years ago, the brands that were really growing quickly were all uh, VC backed and spent burning a ton of money in order to achieve their growth. And today it's bootstrap brands are able to do that all the time. I find that to be really impressive. I really love the true classic tease story. I feel like there's a small cohort of those LA brands, uh, Solo Wave, True Classic, Kitsch, Hexclad, Ridge. Bombus, they're all like yeah. bootstrapped. Yeah. yeah. And just crushed. It gets me really excited to like go work whenever I see that stuff. After hanging with Ben, I wanted to go home and open my laptop and figure out, okay, now how do I do that? Uh, it's really inspirational. All right. Anything else before we move on? Uh, no, let's move on to audiences. I'm curious to hear your take here. Okay, so I've told this story before. When Uber got canceled for something related to picking up passengers or not picking up passengers, they got canceled, lost a ton of customers. And, you know, the next day or in the next week, I think it was Mike Isaac from the New York Times called them out for basically buying customer data from a company called Slice Intelligence. And using that to find people who have Lyft receipts to run targeted ads to the people who have Lyft receipts in their email. And Slice Intelligence bought a company called Unroll Me, which allows people to basically clean their newsletters and kind of condense their inbox, you know, basically go through it quicker. And Rakuten owns Slice. So Rakuten's like the big daddy or the granddaddy. Then there's the daddy, which is Slice. And then there's, you know, Unroll. So I remember seeing this data or this this article and thinking, you know, this is amazing. How can I go buy people who have bottled water receipts sitting in their, you know, Amazon receipts sitting in their email and go advertise to them? And we did. And our CAC was a third of what it normally was. This was also, keep in mind, this was when Facebook rewarded more condensed or narrow audiences. I haven't run this stuff recently personally, but I'll get into a couple companies here who, who say that they have. Did you buy that data through Unroll Me? Where did you get the data when you were um, doing this for Hint? Yeah, I bought it from uh, basically just a salesperson under Slice Intelligence. Okay. And he, he uploaded it to your Facebook audiences and that's how, exactly. like, that's how it worked? It was okay, just, gotcha. yeah, the he audience just dropped right in. Okay, Correct. Gotcha. It's, all, it's yeah. fully anonymized. So that's the thing. Like most people think that you know their data is private. It's never going to be private. Their data will always be out there. It's just going to be anonymized. So I can never point like, all right, this is Moise's email in this audience, but you know you're in there. So you know we started running that. It starts crushing. Like we're talking not only the the core audience, but the lookalikes, even up to like five percent lookalike, which is I think a ten million sized audience, did really really well. And then the next level. We bought through Facebook, through our rep, which was basically data sets from Oracle, 
where we could say, hey, we want to buy people who shopped at Whole Foods in the last three months twice and used American Express. And within an instant, you know, they could drop that right into Facebook. And I think they would charge a percentage of the CPM, I believe. Uh, it might have been, you know, like 3% of whatever you spend is what they get for the audience fee. Then there was another company that actually tried to do this. Cause so after this started working, you know, there's a few brands that I would go get lunch with every month or so. And we would do this. We would, you know, make a 1% lookalike and swap it. And so we would run theirs, they would run ours. And it worked pretty wow. well. And there was a company that basically came out and said, like, they're going to try to do this, except I don't think they really understood the complexities of it and it didn't really last. But the idea was there. And a lot of companies, at least from what I remember, were down to do this, basically just trade audiences. And it was also never for the record. It was never like the core audience. It was like a lookalike. So it was basically an anonymized by Facebook audience. Now, today, fast forward, there's some interesting companies that exist. You know, Slice Intelligence still still exists. Oracle, obviously, still exists. Yeah. I've talked about this app called Quantcast Measure, which is basically a publisher tool that Quantcast offers to publishers. You put a pixel on, and they'll tap into third-party sources like Oracle and TiVo and all these other companies and try to pull insights. But you can go to these companies and still buy the audiences. You can now also, you know, there's Shopify audiences, which I, I don't know, have you used that before? I haven't personally run something with Shopify audiences. I haven't, but when we chatted with Harley a few months ago now, he was like, it's proving out to be really successful. Curious to see if that's like, you know, if, they, if that works at scale, but they were like beta testing, I think with Shopify plus guys. Yeah. And then Disco Network has a audiences product as well. And I know they have a ton of data. I think they have Last time I did the math, they have data on a third of U.S. households that receive mail. Um, there's 150 That's million households that receive mail, and they have 55 million shoppers in their network, which is insane. So I think they have they have a, a decent sized audience product. I also personally have not run it, but I have I do know that it works well. I don't know about works well at scale, but I know that the the brands that have tested it that are clients of ours have have seen good success with that. There's another one which is not really fully announced. So this might be their coming out party. Uh, there's a company called Agile, which does these trucks around different areas. So they take these trucks that are, I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, yeah, we've chatted about it. They upload their truck routes into a software that you know has a certain number of seats have access to the software. It's basically like large agencies or companies like Agile they can basically say, all right, this is the truck route that was run. Download all the mobile device IDs that were on the ground altitude level within 25 feet of this truck route at the time it was there. And you'll get about 15% of mobile devices opted in automatically. And that comes through, think like free apps that are on the app store people download. You know, They opt into location services and now the app makes money because they're constantly just selling user location data back to a company like this. The idea is you get to retarget people who saw the truck driving, which is one, one use case. The second one is you can actually go to them and say, okay, give me everybody who entered Sephora in the last quarter and load them into my Facebook and I'm going to build a lookalike off of that. Or give me everybody who visited PetSmart two times in the last quarter because that means that you know they're buyers of maybe food and load them into my audiences. Oh, well, l let me push back on that because it doesn't like, you know, um, it doesn't sound like they have that level of data, right? They're like, we drove a truck around 
and I think their trucks are primarily in like the tri-state area, like in New York, New Jersey, right? They're not in Florida. No, Oklahoma. they they can go anywhere. I think they run like Austin, Dallas, Cali, gotcha. Florida. Is the truck sitting in the parking lot of a Target, for instance? In which case, I think the value is there. There's me- meaningful value at that one Target, or are the trucks moving around? They're like regular delivery trucks. I want to say. 60% of delivery trucks are leased by like three companies. They have agreements with those companies that own majority of them to basically put billboards on the side and, and let these truck drivers and truck uh, leasing companies monetize the truck in a way that they would have otherwise just never made money on. I would love to buy the data of every single person that's walked into a Target in the last 30 days. And the way to accumulate that is if you have the ability to pick up mobile device IDs, outside of a Target, like, you know, just have a car park there and be like, I want to get pick up every single mobile device ID, take it and build an audience, and then I can sell it. I think it's less effective if you got trucks moving around because like, you know, then maybe you got, you know, the delivery trucks at Target in Manhattan aren't coming at uh, 4 p.m. They're probably coming at midnight to 7 in the morning because that's when you can unload stuff. And so then you're probably getting a very different demographic than if you're getting the, you know, 4 p.m. than if you just have a car sitting outside there all the time. I like that idea though, I guess I would say two other things. One is we tried doing this at Native a long time ago where we bought audiences via Oracle that were bit, bit made from credit card data. And they're like, look, you're going to pay a higher CPM on Facebook and Facebook pays us. You don't have to pay us a penny. And they uploaded that audience. We tried it. It didn't really work as well as the audiences Facebook had already or our own lookalikes. The other thing I would say is this only makes sense if you're like probably five or $10 million or north of that amount of money when it comes to revenue. If you're a sub five, $10 million business, you know, Facebook lookalike 1% should probably perform better than anything else. There are except that unroll me sounds amazing. You know, if you can buy Lyft card, Lyft receipts and email addresses and your Uber, you got to substitute good and this makes a ton of sense. Similarly, if you're Topo Chico and you've got, well, you can buy LaCroix lists, maybe like there are instances where I think it's super powerful, but I think if you're a sub $5 million business, it's probably not worth the bang for your buck because the number Agreed. won't be large enough. Like, you know, there won't be, there won't be 40 million people in that audience. Right. Yeah, fully agreed. Just to clarify on the on the target example, the tech is basically like uploading a truck route into a platform and saying, okay, now give me the people who were around that truck. And so for for the store, you you, do, you wouldn't even have to have a truck in the parking lot. You could just map all the stores nationwide and then immediately transfer that audience of device IDs into Facebook. Yeah. How does the device ID get from the person who's walking into Target to the truck if the truck is not right next door? Like, is a truck able to broadcast 10 miles? No. So it's actually completely separate. The way that it's associated with the trucks later is they'll update the route that the truck ran into this portal and they'll get the device IDs that were opted in and near that spot that pinged for location at the time. Okay. Gotcha. So like if you opted in through like a weather app, let's say a third party weather app, and you happen to be near Target, and you pinged for location, you are now eligible to be in that audience. Wow. Okay, so my audience is being shared with the weather. Oh, my location is being shared with the weather app all of the time. So weather app knows every time I walk into Target, and this truck uh, picks it up. Well, and the truck doesn't even have to be there. It could be completely without the truck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, gotcha. But yeah, it's pretty You're crazy. Just I think data it'll from be the weather app. Yeah, it's almost like an aggregator who like gets all the free app data and just basically packages it and sells it. Gotcha. We did this thing where we're like, um, here are the addresses of 100 targets. We're going to run a native deodorant ads right around, like a, you know, within a three-block radius of those targets. 
because presumably you're aware of Target if you're within three blocks of it. You may not be going inside, but you're going to be aware of it. And that turned out to be a pretty effective strategy in terms of marketing where we're like, look, we're just going to bombard you with a super high frequency of ads. My goal was to get to like, you know, 15 a week or 20 a week when I was in terms of frequency and just being like native deodorant now available at Target, native deodorant now available at Target. And then we ran uh, a study to see, hey, is this statistically significant? Like, are these ads creating lift? And the answer was they're creating a substantial amount of lift. Like it was really good for us. So I think like, you know, if you're not like Nick Sharma with access to Unroll Me and trucks moving around the country and you're a poor schmuck like me, you know, Facebook lets you create tools that are pretty powerful without hitting up all of these things. Not to say that these things aren't great. The Unroll Me data sounds wonderful. The truck data sounds wonderful. It's a lot of work to get all that information as opposed to just going to Facebook and being like, probably 75 or 80% is good. Maybe you get a little less. And so, you know, you can, I mean, you can do that tonight. Yeah, fully agreed. In fact, yeah, people probably shouldn't even be running this until they're over that 10 mark. Why do customers love apps? It's way easier to buy from your phone with one-click checkout and instant page loading. Also, a mobile app is an awesome way to engage with your customers who are on their phone. And if you still don't have a mobile app as part of your marketing strategy, you can fix this with Tapcart. Increase sales, LTV, and retention with an app from Tapcart. Go to tapcart.com slash limited and get two months free. Um, okay, should we switch gears to the Beverage Tasting Institute? Oh, I can just feel the hunger. You want this segment <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I, I, look, I just think it's hilarious these what these guys do. Look, I've made a bunch of money off of it, so I can't complain too much, but I know what they do. So let me give you a little backstory. So a couple of years ago, I remember we got an email. This was when I was at Hint. Got an email. Hey, you guys want to use the Susan G. Komen uh, logo. ribbon and logo yeah. on your packaging? It'll be great for this. You know, you'll be supporting an amazing cause, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this sounds amazing. We're going to be supporting a woman. She's, you know, fighting for a cancer research. And then they're like, cool, that'd be, you know, 50, 100 grand. And I was like, wait, 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 what? Hold on. We're putting your logo on our packaging. We're running ads to push your name and you want us to pay. Okay, that makes no sense, but sure. Then there was another one I came across, Whole30. And, you know, Whole30 is way cheaper. I, I want to say it was like five or 10 grand for the logo, but it was like, all right, you know, you can get this Whole30 logo. You'll be Whole30 certified which you do have to pass pretty rigorous like uh, standards yeah. for Whole30. Yeah. But then they put it on the bottle and you know you basically pay a licensing fee. So then I was like, okay, that's interesting. Then I turned the bottle around and I saw the non-GMO label and the kosher label. And I'm like, wait a second. These are also fucking paid. What the fuck? You know, I was like, why don't I just start a logo and go throw it around on every billboard in the country for one year get brand awareness on that. And now it's like, okay, now if you drink this, you know, it's certified made by an Indian or something, you know, like why not start our own logo? So then last night I'm writing copy for a, uh, a hooks client that, uh, we won't name and I'm going through their PDP and, you know, I see this award. It's like in every single PDP carousel. And I'm like, wait, this one won an award and then, oh wow, this one won the award too. Oh shit, that one won a gold one and that one won two. And then I, I click on the you know Beverage Testing Institute site. I'm like, what the fuck is this award? It's not, it's not Vine Pair. It's not like any kind of you know 
marketplace like Caskers or uh, something else. And I click in, dude, Beverage Testing Institute, this is a marketing agency. They offer SEO and email and graphic design and group programs, strategy consulting. And they're the ones that are getting their award on every single product page ever. Like I've seen their logo everywhere. And only until last night did I say, what the fuck is this thing? It's just a metal logo. It looks like a metal, like that you get for, you know, getting third place in a soccer match. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says, you know, platinum across the top and 98 points. And like, you know, who am I to question what the fuck 98 points of what? You know, I'm not going to ever question it, but sure, it sounds legit. And turns out these guys themselves <laughs> are are the marketing agency. Then I, I was thinking like, all right, you started Caskers. Uh, like, tell me what the fuck this is. This this is a scam. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, everyone can win an award if they want. And they're all some, you know, when, when I was running it, literally no spirit ever won anything below like a silver. There was nothing below a silver. Everything won gold, double gold, or silver. And if you were silver, that means even you paying for somebody to review your product and give you an award, they were like, we got to give you the shittiest award we've got, silver. Uh, it was hilarious. These aren't the only guys that do that. Like, you know, Cosmo, I think Cosmo, uh, you may actually have to win the award of like, you know, best indie beauty product of 2023. But if you want to use their logo, they're like, guess what? Use our logo on your product. It's going to increase conversion rates, but we're you're you going to need to pay us. Yeah, exactly. And so I don't think that's a crazy idea to just create your own company that gives out awards. Like, you know, Imagine how is getting the NSA award. And what is NSA? Nick Sharma awesomeness award. Uh, you know, <laughs> there it is. You got you. I won the N I won double gold best product of 2023 by NSA. And you're like, NSA, that sounds legit. Nobody knows what anything is anymore. And so that just sounds legitimate. And this isn't just happening here. Like, I don't know how, uh, you know, my Twitter DMs, I'll get things that'll be like, do you want to be like the New York tech entrepreneur, you know, 20 of 20? Uh, if so, Send me $5,000 and I'm going to get you on the list. Or you, you don't even have to send me the $5,000 until after I get on the list. And I look at the list uh, after it comes out and I never do things like this. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, which one of these guys paid that $5,000 to be New yeah. York Tech 20 under 20 or whatever it is? I'm like, you guys are scumbags on, on this list. I know you guys are scumbags and you paid for this. And you're like, yeah. you know, then afterwards, you're like, I am so humble to have received so this award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though they pay for it. So it happens with products. It happens with people even, which uh, really blows my mind. So um, another one that I that kind of aligned to this, I don't think it's Goalie. There's another company that basically sells supplements. It's not Goalie. There's a company that sells supplements. So I, I went to their site last week. I can't remember the name of it. But, you know, it's like this Z-list athlete is holding the the thing and it looks like they were all in front of a red carpet like at some event so like yeah. they got you know 25 people to walk through the red carpet hold it snap a photo one person's in a dress one person's in like a suit and tie it's kind of similar there's basically there's two ways these awards and like celebrities and influencers they work one is like you basically go out and you get this award you get a celebrity you get a piece of content and then you turn around and figure out how to weaponize it from a marketing standpoint, which is what the Beverage Testing Institute is. This is also the same, like, you know, Camila Cabello doing a Skechers ad, right? Skechers goes out, pays her, they create content, and then it's on Skechers to go figure out. But the ones that are really valuable are the opposite, where they power the distribution and the award. So, like, if Vine Pair or if Caskers did a, you know, 25 
you know, new beverages in 2023, you know, you're pushing that out to your audience, right? And so it's actually valuable for, uh, or there's distribution built in and it's also legit versus, uh, you know, if ca- you should have done this with caskers, the fucking caskers, the caskers whaleys every year and you yeah, give out a different yeah, yeah. award and, you know, five grand to participate and 10 grand to take home your trophy and another five grand to use our logo as a license. It's hard in the spirits industry. Uh, it got so opaque that I wasn't sure what was legit and what was it. Like, I'm not sure if it was the San Francisco guys that were like, yeah, you can buy this. Or if it was another one that was like, you can buy this. It got really opaque. But I'll tell you what, one thing that worked really well for us at the time was there was uh, something called like the Ultimate Beverage Institute or something like that. And they gave out points. And so Pappy Van Winkle is this bourbon that everyone wants, right? Because it's hard to, and it's super hard to get. And there would be this bourbon, uh, like, I'm not even sure it was made in Colorado. I think it was made in Indiana at the time, but it was called Breckenridge Bourbon. Like, we would advertise, subject line would be like, buy the bourbon that beats Pappy, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, this thing scored higher than Pappy on the Ultimate Spirits Guide or whatever it was. And we would sell so much of that. I kid you not, when when we were going to do a sale of this, we would have to contact the distillery and be like, you need to stock all of our suppliers with three truckloads of this stuff because we're about to sell out of like, you know, virtually everything you can make. We can sell a thousand cases of this with one email and one subject line. So the honest answer is I think these things are important and can move the needle for a lot of people. Like, totally. You know, I, I lived it. And like, you know, whenever we would do Breckenridge, we knew what we were doing. We're like the bourbon that beat Pappy. That would be the subject line and would sell a, uh, a ton. And whenever the list would come out every year, we're like, please p- make more bourbons that be Pappy so we can sell more bourbons that be Pappy as a subject. <laughs> we can send out more of these emails. And some guy on Reddit, I wonder if it's still there, he's like, the one thing I've learned from being on the Casper's email list is these awards mean nothing. Everything is beaten Pappy. <laughs> Everything is scored 97. Everything is scored double gold. And so yeah. like, some guy on Reddit is like, I figured this out. The Casper's guys are just putting gold saying that everything has a gold medal, even though we're not giving out the gold medal, somebody else has. Yeah, Beverage Institute is. Yeah, somebody, exactly. <laughs> and But we would use it to our uh, advantage and try to really sell that stuff. And, and it worked out really well. It's crazy how, how marketing at the end of the day is just perception. And it's like shaping yeah. perception into reality. And if you can do that, you know, you can sell things. You know, this reminds me that we would get like two people who would email us all the time in Native. One was... Kathy something who is some celebrity and the other was Kevin Harrington and Kevin Harrington oh my is God. the biggest scammer in the whole world. I don't know when you start yep. when you started saying giving out awards Kevin Harrington all somebody will email you from Kevin Harrington's team. Kevin asked me to personally reach out to you. He thinks you're amazing. You we need to get on a call because he wants to promote your products. So you get on this call and they're like, "Okay, give us $20,000 and that'll be worth it and Kevin Harrington will do something amazing and try and get you on like, you know, Shark Tank, even though he, I think he's a complete scammer. He must have emailed us a hundred times. And I was like, let me talk to Kevin Harrington himself. And they're like, you can never talk to Kevin Harrington. But have you ever gotten any of his emails? Yeah. I remember taking that call at first because that was right around, I was exploring TV ads for the first time. And I thought, okay, this guy is like, you know, as seen on TV, he's the, the TV ad daddy. So let me just get on a call with his team. And it was like, you get on the call. I remember being at an airport and it was like, okay, well, yeah, to get the next call set up, like, you know, we need a retainer or some sort of a deposit. Like there was money involved. At the end of the day, there was really nothing. Like there was nothing around, uh, uh, you know, everything in, in D2C is like running a 10K test. They were like, no, it's it's a minimum buy-in of, of 50 or 80 grand. So I never ended up continuing the conversation, but 
I know that he 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 runs that. Like that's his thing. He he emails a bunch of companies to try to get some sort of award or as seen on TV thing or some promo. And I think it's always all a sham. In fact, I was just searching my inbox to try to see if there was anything that I had from them. And uh, the only thing I have is an angel list message from somebody saying, you know, I have an exciting deal. It's Kevin Harrington's B to M fintech startup innovating the financial space service. This financial service space, which sounds like the biggest red flag and immediate delete. I've got his email. It says, I'm the production assistant at the studios of Kevin Harrington, one of the original sharks from the TV show Shark Tank. <laughs> Kevin's yeah. research team learned of Native and asked me to arrange a time for our product manager, Rich Kramer, to speak with you to gather more information about your product or products. Like they don't even know what they have. You know, a time is of the essence. We Ideally, we'd like to arrange a call over the next few days. Please contact me directly. Kevin Harrington is one of the few people that if I actually saw him on the street, I would go to jail to punch him in the face. He's he's robbed so many entrepreneurs of so much money. If he sees me on the street, he should run. I would boondock saints him and I'll send him to whatever God he wants for being such a crook. It really grinds my gears. There's, There's another email I just found. Similar thing. It says, Nick, I hope you're well. Great connecting on LinkedIn. In addition to being an advisor to Kevin Harrington, original shark from ABC's hit show Shark yeah. Tank, I'm yeah. partnered with Alan Kay, legendary advertising executive. You know, and he's like, Alan's copied here, blah, blah, blah. And it's like just the sharkiest, most bullshit looking site you've ever seen. I can't believe that he, like, he's able to take advantage. Like, you know, I've never seen him on Shark Tank. He must have been on there. A decade ago or something he, like I think that. he was on once, maybe twice, but I think gotcha. once. And he's trying to turn that into a career. Yeah. And not being an entrepreneur, he's like, I sat as a shark once and now I'm going to scam every entrepreneur possible. And now we know that the real as seen on TV God is <laughs> AJ Kabani, not this <laughs> guy. Right. Fuck this guy. It's hilarious. <laughs> We're going to go to retention tip of the week. You know what? One thing I think is easy to do, and it's also free. Basically, you go to forms.new. That's like a Google shortcut. Docs.new, slides.new, forms.new. Five questions. What's your name? Where do you live? Why'd you buy our product? What did it help you with? What else do you want to see from us? And send that out to your email base. You know, you can incentivize people with a gift card or to win a lifetime supply of your product or whatever it is, or a limited supply you will get the best learnings as well as just the best like snippets of copy to go run on ads, the best learnings for your product team, the best learnings for your customer experience team. I'm actually kind of shocked I don't get more surveys from brands asking what I think about them. Okay, wow. I thought this was going to be really stupid and that was great. Like I actually think that (laughs) this is a great segment. Now I take it all back. (laughs) Okay, I want to switch gears. Uh, I don't think we've got time to go through all the meta stuff I want to talk about. So maybe we can save that for another episode. Um, we're recording next week to talk about we're going to record with Mary Berry, which is going to be fantastic. I'm super excited about that. But I do want to talk about two random things that I, I saw recently. One was freight costs. I got a deck from a company that I invested in. And this uh, you know company, which I can't name, was talking about uh, how much freight that they've shipped to the United States and how those costs have come down so much. So in 2022, they said they'd shipped hundreds of containers into the United States at the cost of millions of dollars. You know, they gave exact numbers, but it basically came out to $21,000 per container that it cost them to ship in 2022. So far in 2023, you know, they're a month into this. They probably ship, I'm sure they've shipped dozens of containers already because this is a business that has to import all of their goods. 
Um, they've shipped dozens of containers into 2023 already, and it's you know February 7th. Uh, their cost is eight thousand dollars a container, which basically is wow. a you know what not one third. third, but yeah, yeah, so close. It's about you know yeah exactly two point five x cheaper than it was in 2022, which is crazy. Uh, freight costs have come down a ton, and also so is freight time. They said in January 2022, it took 90 days for a container to go from China to the United States. By December of 2022, so 12 months later, it took 45 days. So costs have come down wow. a ton, and so has shipping time. I mean, that's great for everybody who budgeted really high shipping container costs. Yeah. Basically just found an, an extra half of that money. Yeah, like this company will save millions of dollars in freight as a result of this this year. What I found a lot of businesses doing sort of is adjusting their EBITDA whenever they were like providing numbers to acquirers or investors. And they're like, look, our actual EBITDA was here this year. Our adjusted EBITDA is here. And the reason it's much higher is if like, you know, 2021 and 2022 is an anomaly when it comes to freight costs. So if you take out the excess freight costs and take us down from 21,000, to 7,000, this is actually the rate. This is how it's much it's almost like what have. the projected EBITDA is that the acquirer should look at or think about. Yeah. And I, you know, for a while, like at some point in 2022, I was like, I don't know if you can continue doing that because freight costs have been high for more than 12 months now. So it's maybe a new reality. I was totally wrong there. And so, but it is a massive difference of like, you know, 21,000 to 8,000, 90 days to 45 days. And I just wanted to throw that out there. Do you know if the, cost of air freight has changed over the last few years? I'm sure it has because like, you know, before what, when it took 90 days for things to get from China to the United States, a lot more people had to air freight stuff in, including a bunch of the brands that I work with would be air freighting stuff in. Now that it takes 45 days, there's a better chance that you can just put on a boat and be okay with it. You know, there's a lot more certainty that it's going to come off of the boat in a reasonable time period, that a truck's going to be able to pick it up. There's not going to be some sort of issue with the port. So I bet as a result, there's just less air freight and so the costs have come down. How much? I'm not sure. I had to air freight a bunch of stuff during the pandemic and it was a fortune. You know, thank God I'm not having to do that anymore. It was basically when I had to air freight something in, it would be like a quadruple the cost, not quadruple, Mm -hmm. it would actually be quadruple the cost of the product. So if a product would cost you 50 cents, the air freight would cost you $2 for that item to bring it in, which was bananas. You know, on a boat, it would cost you 10 cents. So it'd be... 20x the cost of a boat. And for, for me, it was 4x the price of our actual product itself. Do you remember when you were running native at scale, like what percentage of containers would just get fucked? Very few. And the other thing was that like often we bought, like we tried to buy plastic in, like not in-house, but d- of like close domestically. So uh, we bought it out of uh, the United States as often as we could. And when we couldn't get it out of the United States, we'd go to Canada. So we never were reliant on containers. In fact, we were probably doing $50 million a year and had never, you know, had to book one container. At some point that changed though. When we wanted to do soft touch packaging and we wanted to do screen printing, like no one does screen printing on deodorants, everyone does labels and we wanted to do uh, screen printing. And so then we're like, okay, we got to go to China for this. I went to the China factory that did it and it was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like those guys were so good at manufacturing deodorant components. It was awesome. That's awesome. Okay. The other thing I want, I know we have to wrap up pretty soon. The other thing I wanted to chat about was Bed Bath & Beyond. And the reason I bring this up is because, you know, their stock has been very volatile recently. Like it's up and down that people are thinking about filing bankruptcy, all that kind of stuff. But I really wanted to ask you about, I don't understand how you think about this or how to think about this really is like, if you're a direct to consumer brand and you have Bed Bath & Beyond as one of your larger channels, because it's a pretty big store with a lot of locations 
and they're about to go bankrupt, what are you supposed to do when it comes to like continuing to fulfill POs? So for instance, if you're Quip and you're at Bed Bath & Beyond or Brewmate or Liquid IV and Bed Bath & Beyond is like, hey, here's a $100,000 PO. We're going to pay you in 90 days. And like, you know, the Wall Street Journal is like, hey, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond is about to declare bankruptcy. Do you just not ship to them? What do you do? I would probably not ship. It looks like they did get a lifeline to, to sell a billion dollars of equity. Yeah. But I don't think I would. In fact, I remember a couple months ago, Sean from Ridge, he tweeted about a company that did the same thing. Like they, they were nearing the end. I think we may have even talked about the company on the pod, but they were nearing the end and they kept telling people like, hey, keep sending us product. We're going to keep selling it. And they kept all the money. They never paid a single dollar out to suppliers and they fucked over a lot of suppliers that way. Fuck. I mean, Paper did Source, I think, company? was another store. I think we did. I don't remember what, what was it, it was, though. Okay. I'm not was sure, it? but Paper Source, I think, was another one. I don't remember them doing that. Like, I, I didn't have the insight into that, uh, but pretty crazy. You know, and I know Paper Source, I, th I think it was Paper Source. They also filed for bankruptcy and kept telling people to send product. And then, you know, all their suppliers got screwed over, too. Personally, I, I probably wouldn't. I would just think like, okay, well, you know, the worst case scenario is you lose your hard cogs. The best case scenario is you lose some margin on something that you would have gotten paid in four months anyways. And, you know, you can probably go back in there if it's really selling well. I don't know how to think about it. Like if you're Buffy, and I don't know if Buffy sells at Bed Bath & Beyond or Quip does, but like if you're one of these brands that do sell there and, um, you know, they issue a PO right now, you know, yesterday their stock was up 100%. Today it's down 50%. And like, they're like, yeah, we got a do or die rescue deal. I would say that what you just said right now, which is probably don't, worst case, you know, you could lose all the money that you ship in there. And if I were, if I were Bed Bath & Beyond right now, I, I wouldn't do this personally, but they could be thinking, let's order every product we can and really load up on inventory that we're never going to pay for. Like that's right. a, certainly and a, then like, just you know, sell it at a fire sale. Exactly. And so now all of a sudden you're never going to get paid uh, and we're going to get whatever inventory you've got. I mean, I don't think that's what they're thinking, but like that's certainly a strategy that some evil asshole could do. And so I don't know if I would ship in there. I think the only issue is like, what if Bed Bath & Beyond makes up 10, 25% of your revenue right now? And you're like, I can't, you know, do you risk it? Like, I still think you yeah, don't ship have a huge because it's too close. Yeah, yeah, but it becomes really important. And I'm curious if anyone has had any experience doing this with, Paper Source or Bed Bath & Beyond or, you know, Blockbuster or somebody or Circuit City, <laughs> please let us know on Twitter. DM me on Twitter, DM Nick on Twitter. I'd love to hear the answer to this and how things worked out. I don't know how to think about this right now. Um, and I feel like smarter people have already had to uh, make decisions and would love to hear how it worked out. Everybody should go open their glove compartment, get all their 20% Bed Bath & Beyond coupon posters and go cash them in. There was this Wall Street Journal article about the company and how like its two founders were two friends that decided to merge their stores and start building Bed Bath & Beyonds. And they were like, uh, that was the only marketing they did, the 20% off coupon. And they're like, we found that clutter was actually the best thing in the world for the store. We wanted to stock everything up to the ceiling. Open floor plans. Forget about open floor plans. You have to, it's basically like Ikea. It's a maze in there. And you got to go through the maze in order to get to the exit. You have to jump on ladders to get stuff sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they're like, this is what worked. And it was fantastic. And they ended up leaving for some reason or another. And they're both probably in their 70s or 80s. or Like, you know, they're kind of old guys now. And the Wall Street Journal was like, hey, do you regret selling? Or how do you feel about that? And they're like, the day we left the business was the day, you know, we stopped thinking about it. Like, you know, 
wasn't a big deal. They're like, it was our life's work and we hope it succeeds, but a lot of businesses come and go. This could be one of them. We did the best that we could at the time. It was really like, I really like their mentality yeah. of being like, look, we did the best we could. Businesses are built on the CEOs who are running them at the time, not the legacy of the original person who founded it. And I really appreciated like how they thought of it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Okay, I think we got to wrap it up now. I'm, we got to talk about meta earnings at some point. I think it's really interesting, particularly like how when you start looking at CPMs per user per geography. I think you're gonna get you're gonna find that really interesting, uh, Nick. And then, uh, but I guess we're gonna have to wait two episodes. Next episode is an interview with Mary Berry. After that, we're gonna talk about a bunch of Facebook ad stuff. They're growing. Uh, U.S. users and the CPM per person per geography, I think is super interesting. And then we could also talk about how e-commerce spend on mobile grew 2x compared to desktop. Okay. You don't know who Mary Berry is. You Let will. Let me give you a preview. Yeah. She spends $10,000 a year on her hair <laughs> extensions, <laughs> which is not even a joke. And um, she's building a salon in her manufacturing facility. That's right. Yeah. Personal she's decided salon. to get in- she got into cosmetic manufacturing because it was the only way she could afford all of the makeup she wanted to purchase on a yearly basis. <laughs> Which I think but if I said that to her, she'd be like, yeah, I think if I said that to her, she'd be like, that is partially true. Yeah, she would say that's probably pretty right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Nick and I are both friends with her and it's going to be a fantastic episode. So looking forward to having everyone join uh, next episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.